standing in the place of another, one taking the penalty for another, one suffering the judgment of another. And, uh, and so we're into a very deep, uh, probably the deepest mystery in all of time is the doctrine of atonement, is the death of Jesus Christ, is the deepest mystery of all of time. Why God, who needs nothing himself, we don't supply anything he needs, he's self-sufficient, he was self-existent before we ever came into his mind, we, uh, we uh, furnish him nothing, we give him nothing, uh, we uh, uh, satisfy him with nothing. He always has been what he always will be. He's changeless from the eons of eternity past to the eons of eternity future. Why he should <clears throat> reach down and salvage creatures like you and I and come in the person of Jesus Christ and pay the debt of rebellious and sinful humanity so that we might again uh, be reconciled as one of the deepest mysteries of all of time. It was without basis. Uh, there's nothing to bring it to pass. It isn't reasonable. It isn't rational. Amen. Are you listening to me? A lot easier. It would be a lot easier simply to just wipe the slate clean. rather than to have to fool with people like you and I and go through all the tremendous agony of bringing about their salvation and their redemption and their reconciliation and their eternal good. The mystery of the atonement. Why he should want to even reconcile himself to us is a deepest mystery of profound magnitude. Why God who is holy, infinitely holy, God who is absolutely righteous in, in the only terms can be described as a blinding light of righteousness and holiness would want to reconcile himself with sinful humanity. Rebellious, unclean, impure, and fallible is a mystery beyond understanding. And, and, and not only one time, see, but he continually will deal with. Chases us, see, all the time. What we're saying, I'm looking for God. We're off into Eastern religion, looking at our belly button. We're snuffing glue, amen, drinking whiskey. Let's looking for God. Can't find God anywhere. Just been hunting everywhere. And all the time he's chasing us relentlessly talking to us, dealing with us, convicting us, loving us, speaking to us, hungering for us, and saying, I'm just looking for God, lying through our teeth, running all the time, afraid that he's going to catch us. Are you? That comes to grips with the mystery. Amen. Sister, the Lord bless you. <clears throat> Well,
Well, that's because of His love and His mercy towards us. I understand that, but it still doesn't doesn't explain why. See, a lot easier to start over again. If you've ever uh, if you've ever owned an old automobile that uh, has got a hundred thousand too many miles on, it's a lot easier to start over than to start repairing that dog. <laughs> so I understand that, sister. This is the this is the love of God, which is beyond understanding. This is His concern for justice and righteousness. See, we, what we're dealing with is is divine justice, and this is why Jesus came to pay the bill is to satisfy God's justice, satisfy His righteousness. But there's still uh, is still a great mystery. When everything's been said and done, it still leaves us without explanation as to why He would want to do that. And and then we can go beyond that even, and uh, we get into the gracious plan of God, whereby this dominion was given. Why would God uh, seek to bring man? And when you come into the full revelation, is that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Is that we're going to share dominion, see? All things that the Father has are mine, and he shall take of mine and show it unto you so that you can have it. See, that we get into the realm of mind-stretching, fuse-blowing, tremendous. Uh, but that's what God says, and, uh, and if he says it, I believe it. And, uh, and so we're into a mystery, aren't we? Okay. Uh, I believe that's got our, uh, our uh, thought processes functioning this morning. Now, I want to just uh, back up a little with these scriptures because this, uh, uh, we want to, uh, we want to uh, uh, come to grips with this. Now, let's, before we pass this on, let's nail down one fact that uh, uh, what is the central feature of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth? What's the central feature uh, in, 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 uh, in the person of Jesus Christ? I want you to think that through. What's the most important part? central feature, most prominent fact of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what is it, Brother Droz? Okay, there's one, uh, there's one uh, 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 proposition, and undoubtedly this is true, okay, are they, everybody agree with that? What's the prominent fact? of Jesus Christ coming to earth, the central feature that overrides everything else, and, and everything else just pales before it. Brother uh, Sam? Okay, uh, here we have Hebrews, um, uh, took upon him uh, the form of a servant, likeness of man. Uh, so that he could understand. Okay, does everybody agree with that? Phil? So we can... Okay, so we're actually... Uh, uh, we're actually the same thing here. We can see God, all right? Uh, I had a hand back here. Bev? Uh, a little louder, sis, please. Okay, he became a man and lived a perfect life so that we could see an example of, uh, of how man ought to live, or a perfect man. Okay. Sister Kathy.
Redemption. Praise God. Amen. We found that, didn't we? See, that all of these are just secondary things that, 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 that the human race can, uh, can misunderstand what God is doing. See, we can take off on that. We can say we, we need to see what, uh, uh, what a godly person is like. And uh, so he, uh, he uh, is, uh, we can see that and see how God works and so on and so forth, see God's miracles and God's power, and we can believe in God, took upon him the form of likeness so he could understand how we suffer. Here's an example how perfect man ought to live, and uh, then we can become imitators of, of, uh, of Christ, uh, okay? Uh, but uh, that misses the entire precept. You miss, you miss the whole thing. All of that you can, you, could, you can embrace and be lost for eternity. Because that was not what he came to do. He came to redeem man's soul. To accomplish the work of redemption. Burn that on your heart. And because your understanding of that principle, redemption by blood, through sacrifice, is the overriding revelation of Holy Scripture before which all else pales in comparison and which we need burned upon our heart that we never fall into error. Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by blood over and over and over again and it takes that to satisfy the justice of God and if we understand that then we're long ways uh, removed from falling into error and, and class, clarifying all doctrines as they begin to come in. This is God's main purpose. Now, if this be so, think through what I'm saying now. If this be so, God's main purpose is to redeem man's soul through the blood of sacrifice, then what is the main task that you and I have? What? To receive it? Well, we have received it. Danny, to declare the good news to mankind who knows it not. See, most churches today, Phil's going to nail it. Go ahead, Phil. Right, we are reconciled through that blood sacrifice. Right. Okay, but that doesn't... Uh, 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 that doesn't take place until something happens, does it? What's happening in the church world today, generally speaking? Somebody tell me. Nothing? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, something's happened. They're having fried chicken dinners and <clears throat> ladies' aid. and <clears throat> Sister Burgess? Okay. Okay, and so what's the main task of the Church of Christ? What is it? Sister Maya? To bring the gospel to those that are lonely. See how easily we get sidetracked. Burn that on your heart. Remember what I'm saying. See, I may not always be here, but burn that on your heart. That's the central message of Jesus Christ. Never forget it. If you live to be a hundred and Jesus still hasn't come, don't ever forget what I'm telling you this morning. That's the main task of the church of Jesus Christ. And if the devil can do anything to sidetrack you from that, to get you off into another 
thing that sounds neat. We need to recognize the lordship of Christ. The lordship is wonderful. But here's the message. We need to understand all the greatness of God, the knowledge of God. That's wonderful. We intend to do that. Here's the message. I thought Phil was going to nail it for me because he was into that a lot of years. What were you into, Phil? Church under a Christian guise without this message, weren't you? Amen. Teaching adult Sunday school class and not saved. Say, that's possible? Sure is. There's a living example. Why? Because all of these things were taught, weren't they? These things were all taught, but this was not taught nor experienced. Praise God. Okay, have you got that ingrained down inside? you understand what I'm saying? This is a central message. Everything else that we're involved in is secondary by the side of that. As we are involved in bringing men then to the knowledge of that, our maturity transpires. We develop spiritually. There's a growth and increase of the body. There's a development of our capabilities. There's a development of our spiritual understanding. There's a development of our understanding of God. As, as we become involved in that, my, how we become increasing in the knowledge of God as we watch God working His plan of redemption and we fulfill that task. But as we get sidetracked off into something else, it isn't too long until we don't even know where we are. We're into a swamp from which there's no... Uh, path of escape. Phil? Right. And what is the gospel? Reconciliation. Right. Praise God. Somebody have a thought about there. Tim? Yeah, I noticed that it's difficult about Jesus Christ. That's why we leave out all these other things. It's a strange thing. What happens to us? We get all, we start tripping out on intellectual trips, but you see there's, a, there's an excitement that grips people who are involved in, in reconciling man to God. There's an excitement. There's an enthusiasm. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, a, a tremendous... Uh, it's, it's like it's the best high you ever had, seeing people come to Jesus and, uh, and uh, bringing them to the knowledge of the Lord and, and, uh, in, uh, in salvation. There's something that grips man's heart that hooks him. You get hooked on this. Once you ever get hooked with bringing men to Jesus Christ, you'll never be satisfied. Now, here's what happens uh, in, the, in the process of time is that uh, the revival fires cool. People no longer are changed remarkably. We lose the, we lose the enthusiasm and we, and we divert from the task of planning new churches, reaching new communities, reaching new souls. And so then we begin, to, we begin to talk about, think about other things, and we lose the excitement of this until the first thing you know, we're off into a whole different ballgame because we have not seen anybody changed by God's miraculous power, and then we get diverted off into other things. When the church is diverted from evangelism, you can put a gravestone on it. It's time and its demise is marked. And I can drive all over town and show, you, show them to you that are the carcasses of great revivals that have been diverted into other things in every city in our country. Powerful, huge organizations 
that one time were exactly like you and I, but today are off into social gospel, into a thousand different things, and sidetracked from what God, because they, they left this aside. They were not laboring. They did not give themselves. They did not travail before God to bring this reconciliation between God and man to pass. And because of not seeing people change, then the excitement and the enthusiasm was laid down and they got off into other things. I had a couple of hands back here. Ike? This, in, this applies to an individual as well as it does to a body or a group. See, there's something about becoming involved and this doesn't mean that we are counting scouts and we say, okay, there's three. But it does mean that we are constantly involved in presenting the gospel. And Romans 10, 6 through 10, was written to the church and it's a tremendous statement. Say not. In, who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep to bring him up from the dead? But, the, uh, uh, but what saith it? The word is uh, the, uh, the word of faith which we preach. It is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is a statement of a process whereby we are bearing testimony to Jesus Christ and it keeps our own flow going. And if we're not doing that, well, you can mark our demise personally. Tremendous, tremendous strength. Somebody says, I'm growing cold. I said, I want you to pray for me. I'll grow hot. I said, if you want to grow hot, grab a handful of tracks and go find 15 or 20 sinners and lay the gospel on them. Instantly, an instant revival. <laughs> Praise God. That's good doctrine, Brother Mitchell. Preach that. Amen. Somebody else have a question right up there. Reconciliation. Redemption. The work of atonement. Propitiation. Big words. Staggering $40 words. Amen. Okay? Maybe we'll open this uh, a little bit uh, later. But let's, uh, let's uh, nail that down then. That's, that's what we're talking about. At Christ's work in relation to our redemption. That's the central feature of the gospel. Then if that's the central feature of the gospel, then that's the central task of the church, is it not? central task of the church and see how easily we become diverted <clears throat> for instance most organizations today are deeply involved in seminaries bible schools training institutions whereby they are saying if you would ask them say why are why are you sending these people to seminary they'd say so that we can prepare people to bring the work of redemption to the human race that's what they would tell you but, as a matter of fact, most of the seminaries that have been around a hundred years are institutions of liberalism and unbelief, that everyone that touches them is poisoned by their, uh, by their, their doctrines. Even, hold your seat, even full gospel organizations on the same trail, write it right down, going the same, just like a hog eating corn, right after it can't see the handwriting on the wall, and yet are turning out. No evangelists, no men and women, but have sidetracked the cream of what God has given them into religious institutions, and they become disciples of theologians and teachers, 
who are doing nothing and are not in the stream of revival, nor in the stream of evangelism, nor in the stream of church planting, and are, are, are sidetracking, and the full, every full gospel organization that I know of is involved in that very thing, and have lost the fire of revival, and should Jesus tarry another 50 years, you can go across, and it'll be the assembly of God, the four-square gospel, and it'll, it'll be exactly like, uh, I could name a half a dozen that are old-line denominations that used to walk across Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, evangelizing, riding horseback, Methodist, Presbyterian, congregation. Every one of them were circuit riders and evangelists that went into every community and brought the gospel, but today don't even know what the gospel is. Are you listening to me? Okay. Praise the Lord. I hope I haven't offended anybody or insulted anybody this morning. But it's the truth. And I just told our general supervisor that the other night. Amen. And the wonderful fact is, he knows it and admits it. <laughs> well, glory. Okay. The doctrine of atonement. We want to go over some scriptures this morning again. Romans 3.25 I want somebody over here to get that for us. We need to take another look at that. Randy Foster, 1 John 2, 2. Somebody over here, Brother Van Dyke. 1 John 4, 10. Anybody? Sam Atkinson, 1 John 4, 10. Blood atonement, propitiation by or satisfaction by the blood upon the altar, substitutionary or vicarious death that accomplishes the propitiation or the atonement. Coming into a church does not bring that to pass. Amen? Attending an organization that teaches that does not bring that to pass. Any more than going into, walking into a garage makes you a car or going into a chicken house makes you a chicken. Going into a church does not make you a Christian. But that wonderful work of God must be done upon the heart and upon the soul as that soul individually rises to embrace through faith that sacrifice that God gave in Calvary's cross of the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 25, out loud in a loud voice. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Christ's death is a propitiation. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he, that He loved us and gave His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So in other words, what that means is that the debt is paid in full. The lien, the loan has been returned, the papers, and every place that men and women are preaching this, God is holding the canceled deed is paid in full and holds it out to every man who will believe and who will personally accept 
that fact in his behalf. Until he receives it, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Until he receives that, the debt is not canceled. He's still in prison. He's still in bondage. And that fact does him no good, though it's a historical fact, until it becomes a reality and personal experience. And the moment he believes, the Spirit of God takes it, washes him clean by the blood of Calvary's cross and a supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about a ritual. We want to, we want to, uh, we want to run that down. We went through last week concerning the veil, and uh, the rent veil as being the way into the holiest. We talked about the tabernacle, do you recall? And uh, how the tabernacle was there, access to God. Here's, here's God and man uh, that are separated. Here's a linen curtain uh, that's there. Uh, court of the Gentiles is outside here. Gentiles could come this far, even in the building of Solomon's temple. Uh, here's the uh, brazen uh, uh, altar upon sacrifice. Here's the brazen labor. Here's the uh, tabernacle proper. Uh, here is the uh, seven... Uh, 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 lighted uh, candlestick. Here's the table of showbread. Here's the altar of incense. And here is the Holy of Holies in whom is no light, separated by a veil. And here's God, separated from man. Man has no access except by God's pattern. The Gentiles can come to here. They can look over, but they can't go any further. Uh, they can see what's transpiring, but, but they have no access to that or no, uh, no way in. Here, uh, 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 sacrifices brought, blood taken, the priest going into service, washing in the, in the brazen labor, into the holy place, uh, can go before the uh, candlestick, can burn uh, incense upon the altar, can fellowship. Once a year, the high priest can go beyond the veil into the presence of God there to make an atonement, which in the Old Testament was a covering over. Not a satisfaction nor propitiation. Remember, this was simply a covering. But upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus died, shed his blood, and in that powerful work of the Holy Spirit that... Uh, hey, say, that was interesting. Our, uh, our Jewish guide. Uh, uh, you'd be astounded how many miracles in the Bible are explained by uh, 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 geological disruptions. <laughs> Yes, amen. Jericho's walls falling down and, and, uh, and the rent veil. And so he's telling us about the, uh, the veil being rent. He said this probably was a great earthquake. Uh, but the problem is, is, is this veil was rent from the top down in visible sight. Amen. With no earthquake transpiring and such a miracle that is written down and, is, and testimony has been born, that four-inch thick veil was rent without human hands from the top down. Scripture says specifically, and when Jesus gave up the ghost, this was rent, the Holy Ghost signifying that the way into the holiest of all was thus made manifest. And so there mankind is given access into the presence of God. But uh, probably more important than that, I preached one time, is that God now is released to come out where man is and to lay hold upon him. As far as individuals, we must come the way of, of God. But as far as God, he is free to be released to those who are redeemed and to have open fellowship and freely uh, have... Uh, fellowship with him. All right, Hebrews 9. Let's look again at that. And uh, I want to go over that scripture again with you. Hebrews chapter 9. 
Praise the Lord. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 9. Here's the Holy Spirit giving us this tremendous uh, revelation. This is a pattern, remember, of spiritual truth God has given so that we can understand in simple terms and it can never be misunderstood. Then verily the first covenant, verse uh, 1 of Hebrews chapter 9, had also ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. But there was a tabernacle made, the first in which was the lampstand and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. This is this right here. Uh, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, that's this part right here, which, which uh, uh, had the golden uh, censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, in which was the golden pot that had man and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Over it, the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus prepared, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. This one right here. Uh, but into the second went the high priest alone every, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in, in foods and drinks and various washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more... Inheritance. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Remember, can, can you see this over and over again? We're talking about the blood of Jesus. We're not talking about the good life he lived. We're not talking about the love that he had for people. We're not simply talking about his miracles. We're not simply talking about his actions. We're not talking about his uh, sinless life uh, as such. But we're talking about his blood. Enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, I want some scriptures again. 1 Peter 2.24, like Tom Thompson to give me that. I'd like a, a 1 Peter 3.18. Brother Van Dyke, 1 Peter 3.18. I'd like 2 Corinthians 5.19. Celia, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19. I want Colossians 1.20 and 21. Kathy Kennard. And I want Ephesians 2.11 through 18. Brother Sam Atkinson. Ephesians 2.11 through 18. Praise God. Okay, reconciliation then is not a ritual. It is a fact. See, this was a pattern for a time of illustration, a time of demonstration, a time of man's probation, a time when God dealt with man uh, after the law and proved to man by the nation of Israel once and for all that he uh, himself is beyond hope, 
In his own strength, he cannot, he wouldn't keep the law if he gave it to him. Gave him ten simple statements, said, do this and live. And he failed miserably and utterly, demonstrated that he's filled with sin and unrighteousness and iniquity and rebellion and ungodliness. And unless God has a salvation or redemption, there's no hope for man. No hope for man. Are you listening to me? No hope for man. Demonstrate it. Say, I can make it all right. I can make it on my own. I don't need this, Jesus. I, all I have to do is just keep, uh, keep the golden rule. Well, uh, the golden rule's there. In ten simple statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And you say, oh, I can do that. Well, you're a liar. You love yourself beyond anything else. You indulge yourself. You will uh, uh, feed yourself. You will always choose yourself above everything else. And then your neighbor as yourself. Well, I do love my neighbor, Lord. <laughs> yes. What about when he lets his dog out? <laughs> yes. Well, we don't have to go any further, do we? Your self-interest is above God and above your neighbor. And we don't have to go any further. You already failed those two tests. We don't even have to talk about adultery and lying. We don't have to get into those areas. We just stop with the first two and we're down the tubes. Right? Okay. Having said that, then let's look at God's wonderful plan of redemption where He reaches down and helps us. Thank God for good news. Amen? Praise God for hope for sinful humanity. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness um, by whose stripes we have been healed. First Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 3.18. Doesn't sound right. Is that right? Huh? Is that the one? 1 Peter 3.18. Okay. You're right, Brother Van Dyke. How could I ever make a terrible mistake like that? I want the, you're not redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. That's right in there somewhere. 19 probably. 17? Second Peter. Okay. There's a small error in transcription. Second Peter 3.18. Okay, we'll come back to you, Brother Van Dyke. Second Corinthians 5.19. Well, there's a heavy statement. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word or the message or the declaration or the proclamation of that reconciliation. God 
was in Christ reconciling, not teaching us good ethics. Amen? Not that we become imitators of Christ. He didn't come to make us imitators. He came to redeem. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Okay? See, that's not a ritual. That's a fact. Colossians 1, 20 and 21. Separation, reconciliation, alienation, at one But you who once were aliens, has he reconciled by the blood of his cross? Okay, you with me this morning? By the blood of sacrifice. You who were alienated and shut aside. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Everyone should turn to that. And we want to follow... Uh, the reading of this, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. And we're going to get uh, Brother Van Dyke to read for Second Peter 3, 18. 1 Peter 1, 18. Okay. Through your curve again, Brother Van Dyke. He'll find it and he's going to read it in a minute. Okay. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Let's take a look at that. Whoever I gave that to, I want you to read it out loud in a clear voice for us. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time them that were not, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Okay, here uh, God is finished with the probationary uh, example of the human race, which is Israel. And he says, all right now, we're, since we've proven that man is a sinner, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, now we're going to, to begin to bring to pass the full revelation that all mankind could receive it and be embraced. And having broken down the middle wall of partition, remember that fence that we have it there? Praise God. Gentiles just look over but can't enter in. Having broken that down, having, uh, having destroyed the veil... It says, now we both have access by um, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ or by one Spirit unto the Father. Not only this, but here are the Jews who God is dealing with in this period of time. And here are the Gentiles, and He's made of them one body. They no longer are distinguished as being a separate but there's a reconciliation of both, and they're both on common ground, and God deals with mankind as a human race and begins to move His redemption out through them. And He makes of, of, of the two one new man, uh, having made peace, and He is our hope, and He's made us all nigh, both them that are far off and both them that are near, all of them have access unto God by one Spirit and are reconciled unto God by the blood of His cross. Isn't that a powerful statement? Okay, you're, you're following now uh, atonement and redemption. Do we have any questions before we go on from that? We're not talking about a ritual. We're talking about a fact, an accomplished fact. Now, we're talking about this in, in God's 
uh, in God's plan. This is an accomplished fact. It's a fact of history. It's written down for all men to see and understand. Do we have any question right at that point? Okay, but God didn't intend for it to stop there, did He? He intended for it to be accomplished and enjoyed. Romans 5.11. I want that scripture. Who will get that for us? Romans 5.11. Quickly. Brother Bill... And Brother Dave, I want uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Romans 5, 11. Would you read that out loud for us? Okay, here's reconciliation accomplished and enjoyed because we have received the atonement. And 2 Corinthians 14, 5, 14 through 21. What is our ministry? What's the ministry of the church? What? Okay, Mark? Sir? We are ambassadors for Christ to represent Him to the human race, to bring God to man. Right? Not to bring man to God, but to bring God to man. Okay? Add a hand over here somewhere. Reconciliation. Our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. To bring God to man through the message of the cross of Calvary. Reconciliation accomplished and enjoyed. Write that down. Never forget it. Burn it on your heart. Never be swayed for it. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let deeper truth or doctrine talk you out of it. That is the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. Our ministry is not gifts. Our ministry is not deeper truth. Our ministry is not deep knowledge of God. Our ministry is reconciliation. We are ambassador for Christ. Everything else falls into line and is secondary as we're involved in that primary task. It has demand upon our time. It has demand upon our lives. It has demand upon our finances. It has demand upon our energies. Primary is bringing God to man that they might be reconciled. Everything else is secondary to that. Gifts are secondary. Amen? All church facilities are secondary. All equipment are secondary. All programs are secondary. As a matter of fact, if we begin to home in on that, a lot of programs that we're involved in can drop by the wayside, can't it? Every program we launch should be measured in the light of what does this do to bring about the reconciliation of God and man? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's move on just for a moment. Here are a number of things, and this is the whole plan of God, and it centers right here. It is not an accident. Matthew 16, verse 21. This was no accident. 
Jesus wasn't just going through life. And, uh, and uh, he got some people stirred up. And suddenly they, they, the Roman government took him and crucified him. And uh, this horrible mistake was made upon, uh, upon God's uh, uh, man. But uh, the Scripture declares in Matthew 16, 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. This was no accident. He was not a martyr. Luke 22, 39 through 46. Luke 22, 39 through 46. He was not a martyr that simply gave himself for uh, the task. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, it says he, uh, he came out being in agony. He prayed, verse 44, more earnestly, sweat. Was it were great drops of blood falling down the ground? When he rose up from prayer, he was come to his disciple. He found them sleeping and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, uh, lest ye enter into temptation. And uh, Father, verse 42, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Angels strengthening him, and so on and so forth. It was not a martyr. This was the plan and the purpose of God to which he submitted himself was reconciliation of God and man. Wasn't a moral influence. In other words, uh, just simply by Him coming, that there's a moral improvement upon the, upon the earth. Simply by Him dying, that men uh, see that and they're moved. And so uh, they said, well, I think I'm, I need to live a little bit better because of the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that alone uh, does not move man to moral improvement. It never did and never will. never has. It's not a fact. It was not a governmental theory. Or in other words, it's just a display of God's governmental displeasure. It's sin. That does not move man. Amen? Man doesn't really care whether God's displeased with sin or not in his rebellious state. The only thing that moves him is the message of the blood of Calvary and the love of God that has reconciled him and there's a way of escape. Okay? It's not a love of God theory. There's a little truth there and it's partially true. Uh, but uh, uh, there are people that uh, preach that this is just uh, Christ uh, just died to show how much God loves us. Well, it's partially true, but that alone, uh, just simply knowing how much God loves us, doesn't help us. And we're back to our primary purpose. What is that primary purpose? The blood of redemption, right? Okay, we've got time for a couple of questions. Praise the Lord. Sam Atkinson. Well, in other words, uh, God just, uh, uh, because of His, of his uh, governmental control in the universe, yes, and so showing that, that He uh, is displeased with that, so that He uh, displays His displeasure with sin, and so man says, well, God doesn't like for me to do this. That's, that's not it at all. You're missing the entire plan of God. There is a, a thought of divine justice. And uh, displayed God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son because somebody had to pay the price. And so God Himself paid it through the Son. Brother uh, Charles. I was wondering, I was just talking about like the word redemption. Kind of redemption is to buy back. That's the best way to remember it. Redemption is to buy back for a price. If, uh, if, you, uh, if you went in hawk to me for your uh, boots... And uh, I lent you five dollars on those boots, and I'm uh, I'm carrying them off, and I've got them in my, my possession. If you give me five dollars, you can have them back. 
That's redemption. Okay? So here's man who has sold his soul for sin. And here is God giving himself in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem him back. Okay? That I give you an understanding. Redemption means to buy back for a price. Very good question. Someone else? Praise the Lord. Everybody's asleep. You understand? Have any input, any help to give us as we could draw this conclusion? Brother Swope. Okay, the brothers uh, uh, thought he was involved in a, in a church that was involved in ritual and all the kind of ritual and, uh, and uh, the dress. And uh, he said, isn't it strange that man can't just simply come to, to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need, uh, I need help. I need salvation. But, but see, the, the, the problem becomes, Brother Bob, that when there is no reality of God's redeeming presence. There are, no, there are people who are not actually experiencing God in simple saving faith and he must have because we are religious by nature. Then we must substitute some kind of religious objects in ritual and symbolism. Anytime you see great ritual, symbolism and, uh, and, uh, and objects, then you know there is no reality there. Anytime you see that, the reality is gone. I don't care what you call yourself. You can call yourself the first church of the, of the whatchamacallit. It doesn't really matter. You're adorned with all kinds of religious objects and, and ritual, and you go through form. Uh, it tells me that there's no reality, because when reality comes, those things no longer have meaning for you. But when man uh, has, has not this flow of divine reality where he himself is on personal terms with God, then he has to substitute and, and make himself feel religious with objects, ritual, and symbolism. It is a, it's a religious substitution, and it's the devil's substitute for reality because of man's religious nature. Brother Dave. In the charismatic movements of those organizations, do they realize the redemption? No comment. Opal? <laughs> yes. Holy objects, bleeding pictures, uh, miraculous uh, manifestations, supernatural manifestations. It's demon spiritualism. It's as old as time. And all you have to do is research and you see exactly what it is. No problem, whatever. And multitudes are seeking after the visible uh, rather than the invisible God. Hallelujah. But oh, thank God for simple salvation. Amen. Through the preaching of the blood of Calvary. And uh, our time is out. Our ushers frantically waving at us. The Lord bless you until next week.